0: Welcome to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. I'm Joey Roberts.
1: This is gonna work, no matter what. Like this has to work. So the overall branding, we kind of wanted, or I wanted to position it as the Lululemon of skincare, and that's literally what I was working towards. I had an end goal. This was what I wanted to build. I wanted a, you know, legacy company. I didn't think I would sell it after two, three years. But I did. And Melissa Vong,
0: welcome to the Fearless Sellers Podcast. I am thrilled to have you on the show today. I love your energy and passion around helping people sell more products on Amazon. I love seeing you light up the stage at industry events. As a successful serial artist, entrepreneur. We are going to dig into how to build a million dollar plus Amazon business. And we are also going to talk about an intimidating
1: product, supplements, which you've sold successfully. Thank you so much, Joey. I'm really excited to be here and kind of just lift the curtain a little bit and show you, you know, everything that I've learned over the years. You have built and sold two to three Amazon FBA
0: brands. And I should say you you built and sold them successfully because there is a difference. And your first brand went from zero to over a million in just one year. What was that brand? And like, why do you think it grew so fast? Yeah. So the
1: first brand I ever started was a botanical skincare company called Namskara. And in a short year, like you mentioned, we hit seven figures in sales uh, and revenue just Selling natural skincare products, I think that the reason why it did so well was because we were tackling a niche that was, was kind of underserved at the time. Uh, natural and organic certified products were few and few between, especially on Amazon. And because it's obviously a, a drawn out process to usually go and uh, uh, apply for certification for you know the USDA organic stamp and making sure that everything is kosher. Um, I feel like a lot of people avoided going into that category or providing those types of products because it's a lot of extra work. Now, we were lucky enough to work with some amazing manufacturers uh, who helped us with the process of getting USDA certified organic. And that definitely helped because it's that perceived value that, you know, that brand took the extra care and time to show their end consumers that they care about the the products that they're putting on their body. And so many men operate skincare brands but not enough women i think there is a stat where there's over 80 percent of you know executive level um people are typically men who run and operate these top 500 uh skincare companies so at the end of the day they're serving a customer that isn't really you know themselves and they care more about the bottom line than anything whereas the woman who are actually using these products, I figured why not put myself in the driver's seat and be able to deliver products that I know that I would be super comfortable using and be happy sharing with my friends, my family. And that's kind of how I build my brands. I build them around the products that I use on a regular basis, things that I which use and share with my family and friends and people closest to me so it's always going to be a matter of quality and making sure the end product is something that people want to use and that i am comfortable sharing with the people i love most and just hearing you talk
0: about how much you put into your beauty brand i gotta tell you it sounds like a lot of work right out of the gate like before you've even made a dollar of sales it sounds like you put a lot of work in before you launched
1: Uh, Surprisingly, it wasn't as difficult as you might think. So the key is working with great manufacturing partners. So we were very, very fortunate that the manufacturer that we work with, they already had their organic certification. So we already know their products are certified organic. So what we ended up doing was they can put us under their umbrella, I guess, organization and essentially apply for our label to be approved. By the certifying body. So it's a lot faster of a process doing it that way through someone who's already gone through that certification. So basically, it was just we had to pay an additional fee to get that going, but we prioritized finding manufacturers that were already had that in place.
0: Yes. And with my first product that I also grew from zero to a million in 12 months, I looked at it the same way. I was like, I will pay more. I will wait longer for my product as long as my supplier, my manufacturing partner has that certification. And I was getting suppliers coming to me saying, oh, we will go get the certification. You can pay for this and you can pay for that to happen. And it's like, well, I'm already going to have to wait in a long line to get the people who already have the certification. And you want to start, especially as a new seller or a new product you're testing, you want to start with a manufacturer who really knows what they're doing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely jumped into a category that is known to be a little bit more competitive. So that's why we wanted to take those extra steps. And even though it took, you know, an extra couple of months, uh, we wanted to nail everything and launch products out of the gate that were not just high quality, but also the branding was on point. So, you know, people can launch products fairly quickly. For my first brand, it probably took me five months to six months of just pure research, figure out, you know, product selection, doing the branding, the packaging, testing the products, you know, ordering samples and everything else. And you know, we probably could have launched it much sooner. But I think that even on an expedited timeline, five to six months before we. Officially launched and made our first sale. That was just something that I knew I wanted to take some time. And plus, I was doing it on the side, right? It was like a passion project for me. Right. It wasn't. I was doing full time. I was working full time uh, and kind of just did this on on the side. And it just ended up growing legs and took off. So about a month after launching, I was like, "This is crazy." So I quit my job. <laughs> and uh, after we made. first $30,000 in sales in our first month. And for me, I just haven't looked back. Yes, I know that exact feeling. It's so fun
0: to, to talk to you because I'm hearing the process you went through and it's the same process I go through. It's the process that I teach people. I know you teach people that process. And it just shows like the method of doing the work and taking it step by step really pays off. And it does test your patience and there are there are small setbacks and you have to keep pushing forward. So congratulations. What happened to to that brand? Is that one of the ones you sold?
1: Yeah, so it was. About two and a half years in, I sold that company. So it's been acquired by a larger conglomerate that owns a bunch of spas across the country. And they wanted to put in their spas and also continue selling it online. But their main focus is retail and direct-to-consumer that way. Well, congratulations.
0: That's wonderful. And then you had a couple other Amazon brands and I believe they were in consumables and some supplements. Yes,
1: so currently, sell in supplements still, but my second brand that I started was actually with my business partner and one of my best friends in the world, uh Bryce. He is a pro or he used to play pro soccer for the Vancouver Whitecaps, super cool dude. Um honestly, just overall very very grateful to have someone like him to work with because it makes the journey a lot less lonely, you know, being able to spitball ideas back and forth. And we actually lived together Uh, at one point when we were building this company, Orphic Nutrition. So uh, Orphic was the second brand that I started with Bryce and we had sold that company about a similar story, kind of about two years in to the brand. We decided to Uh, exit because we had a couple of offers on the table and it just was a no-brainer at the time to take some chips off the table. And then at the same time, we were building another company, a sister brand that still sells supplements, uh, but we focus more on like gummies. And you can sell the gummies on Amazon. Yep. Yep. We still sell on Amazon. Thankfully, we had such a, I guess, great offering with Orphic. That the buyer was able to, you know, give us a more relaxed non compete. So it's not like they fully restricted us from selling on Amazon or selling supplements in Amazon. But yeah, it was, we had to negotiate that for sure. Because as Amazon sellers, like that's what we know, that's what we do. You can't really pull us out of the game, you know? So one of the main selling sticking points in our contract was we still need to be able to sell supplements on Amazon, take it or leave it.
0: Yes, that's so smart to negotiate that because otherwise you get stuck in a non-compete for a long time. I'm in a non-compete on, on some other products. So, yes, it's, it's really smart of you to say, well, you know, I know supplements, so I want to continue to sell. Good job on that. Um, let's talk about selling supplements. When people ask you, how do I sell supplements or is it too hard? Is it too competitive? Like all the negatives around selling selling supplements. What do you say is really the positives? And I don't want to say it's easy because nothing is easy to sell, but I feel like a lot of people want to sell supplements but they're just so intimidated.
1: Yeah, I feel like there's a this preconceived notion that ooh, supplements so scary and you know, all the gurus always say never sell supplements on Amazon. It's too competitive. I don't know why they're gatekeeping. <laughs> Um, the only thing I can think of is they're selling supplements themselves and they don't want other people to sell supplements or maybe they just didn't take the right approach to selling supplements on Amazon. Sure, it's going to be competitive, but like any other niche on Amazon, there's always going to be competition. It's just who's going to do it better? Who's the smarter marketer? Who's going to be better at you know, positioning those products with better branding? There's so many different ways you can differentiate your product. I think with supplements, there's less ways to differentiate because there's only so much you can do. You can, you know, change your packaging, you can make it a different color, you can, you know, maybe bundle and stuff like that. It's not like you can change a key feature or design element or the shape of a different type of product, like a pet product or a toy. Like you can get really custom with toys but even speaking on toys, right? Uh, Children's toys, also highly gated, right? You need certain uh, certification to be able to sell on Amazon, but same thing with supplements. You still have to go through that process of ungating, but once you get through that, really, there's so much opportunity and upside potential. So, I think that people are scared of the initial, you know, having to go through that ungating process and uh, provide the documentation because if you don't know what's needed or what you have to provide in order to get approved It's hard to pay for that first purchase order without knowing if you're actually allowed to sell that product on Amazon So once you actually you can work with your manufacturer and a lot of them will work with you Maybe just place a small order just so you can get the invoice to submit to Amazon but obviously ask them for their FDA certificates and certificates of analysis up front just so you know, at least they have them. So if Amazon asks for it, you can provide it. But in terms of the benefits of selling on it on on Amazon, the sourcing is so much easier. Everything is in the US. I like to say anything that goes in your body or on your body, source it from the US if you can domestically. Um, just because you know exactly what's going into these products, just the the quality, and it's going to be more regulated than if you were to go overseas and <laughs> you know purchase yes. stuff away but yeah i mean with covid we didn't run into any supply chain issues because all of our products are manufactured in the u.s so we were very very lucky in that sense and we're able to you know 3x 4x our our revenue just during that period because a lot of sellers were having a hard time fulfilling the inventory orders because it was coming overseas it was delayed there is no increase in materials and increase in cost of shipping. So a lot of upside benefits of selling supplements and being in this space for sure. Um, But like any category, it's going to be very competitive.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is very competitive. And as far as sourcing supplements in the US, do you have tips like of how to go about that? Like how to find
1: a supplement supplier in the US? Yep. So Google is your best friend. So literally just search, yeah, if there's a specific supplement that or an ingredient that you're after. You can type in that that keyword. So For example, if you're selling um, CLA, you could type in CLA, private label, USA, and then country, right? So it's just about the keywords. Usually if you add private label or white label at the end, you'll be able to find manufacturers and just literally go through one by one, talk to every single one of them, call them up, you know, send them an email, start that relationship and get an idea of their catalog and, you know, just go and visit them. You can go to trade shows like White Expo, you can go to industry specific trade shows for supplements in your area. Um, there's so many different ways that you can find manufacturers. And then ThomasNet also has a list of them as well. That's probably one of the very few, I guess, it's not like an Alibaba for the USA, but it does have you know, a very limited amount of manufacturers listed on there, but still high quality manufacturers. Yes, I forgot about Thomas Net. I haven't talked about that in a few months. Yeah, that
0: is it is a good resource to even just start at at Thomas.net and Dr. Google. I love that. <laughs> Google. Google is our best friend for that. Uh, so jumping back to you said now you're selling supplements and, and gummies. Yep. So supplements for pets and then also supplements for humans. <laughs> and you're your gummies, are those
1: like just regular gummies or are they like CBD or special? No, not CBD. You can't sell CBD products on Amazon. I don't know if that will change. I'm yeah, not CBD. yet. <laughs> Some people get around it by selling hemp products. I was about to ask
0: you that. I was like, <laughs> so when people are looking for CBD, but then they end up with, with hemp, because that's what happens when you when you search CBD is all, all the... The hemp stuff comes up and I'm not educated well enough in the hemp versus CBD world and that might be another podcast. But yeah, I was curious if if you had any of those products.
1: No, we don't dabble in CBD products. That's something that I have explored and I've found that it is also very competitive. Um, And on Amazon, there's just so many hurdles because it's technically not allowed, right? So we don't want to go against Amazon's rules and then risk getting banned for life and having our seller account shut down. So it wasn't worth it for us. But I mean, I see weed shops popping up left, right and center. There's so many of them, but also a lot of them in the last year have gone out of business. I feel like it's so many people thought they were like, oh, like I'm a drug dealer, so I'm just going to go legit and like open up a shop. <laughs> Good but, for that, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then they don't realize that it comes with the territory of overhead costs. You now have to pay rent. You have to pay for, you know, certifying everything and making sure that you actually get the licenses to be able to sell. And then a lot of them went out of business because of it. So I've noticed so many of them have closed down. Like in my search for a commercial unit, a lot of the um, landlords will actually say, no CBD companies allowed. Like, they'll not entertain those types of companies, I guess, because so many of them had gone out of business.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's interesting that even the
0: landlords are like, nope. Okay. Tried it once or twice and no. Okay. That's really insightful. And you live in Canada, right? Is that where you're at now? Yes. I
1: am in Canada, still living here, built a house out here. So, really set roots here. And a lot of people say you could live anywhere. <laughs> but for me, family is so important. So, being close to family. And I think COVID really reiterated that, how important it is to be near your family and have people surround yourself with people that you care about.
0: Yes. Well, and Canada's beautiful. So when you started selling, did you start selling in Canada and then the
1: US or just US? No, we just went straight to the US. It's a bigger marketplace, but 10 times bigger than Canada. So obviously there's more customers to reach. The manufacturers are also, it's it's not as highly regulated as in Canada, Canada, you have to go through this whole process of applying for an NPM number, which is a natural product number. Whereas in the US, you don't really have that as long as you have the certifications from the manufacturers, you can sell it on Amazon. So it's like an added step to sell in Canada, we are currently exploring selling in Canada now that we've, you know, figured out the US side of things. Now we want to sell in our backyard and we've already submitted a lot of our products for the NPN number. So once we get that, we'll be able to sell in Canada.
0: Very cool. Awesome. Love that you just came straight to the U.S. I have friends in Canada that sell and they they do the the same thing, but then um, not necessarily because of the regulations, but because the U.S. market is bigger, which in a way was a good place for them to start to prove their concept and then um, go into Canada You're listening to the Fearless Sellers, the women of Amazon podcast. If you like what you're hearing, click the subscribe button. We have new content coming out all the time and you don't want to
1: miss out. What were you doing before you sold on Amazon? My background was actually in car sales. So right out of university, actually, no, while I was in university, I worked full time at Nissan selling cars at their dealership. And I was working full time, but also in school full time. So it was like... When did I ever have time for myself? It was, it was hectic. Looking back at it now, and then after I graduated, my boyfriend, um, who's now my fiance but boyfriend back back then, he lives in Toronto. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna be you know big city girl, move to the big city, get out of the small city. So I applied to all these different dealerships and laminated my resume and you know went a little above and beyond. And I was still young, right? Most people don't take women seriously when it comes to car, like the car industry, there's very, very few women in car sales. So I had to kind of take those extra steps and I put together a report on why they should hire a millennial salesperson (laughs) Um, and went above and beyond and got offers from four different dealerships. So basically every dealership that I applied to, I got an offer and then I just had to decide who I wanted to work with. And BMW being, you know, prestigious brand, it was like big building right off the DVP. Decided to accept their offer and kind of grow my clientele there. But I slowly realized that luxury car sales is so different from like selling a, a uh, Nissan. It's just a lot less so, volume. Yeah. You couldn't really rely that much on walk ins because it's not as high volume. You don't get as much as many customers coming through the door unless they have already bought BMW before but then they already have a sales rep so it was just a lot more difficult to build that clientele it is and um uh, BMW is a
0: phenomenal brand and i admire BMW i love that you worked at BMW and got that experience and i think i'm on my like i don't know eighth BMW but BMW drivers are so loyal to BMW it takes a lot you know, uh, my dad and my brother did jump. My brother ended up jumping to Tesla and my dad moved on to Porsche. But it is the loyalty that these BMW drivers have. And I love that it that that loyalty still exists. It, it does make it hard for you as the car sales person, though. Right. Because you're you were young and new and people like me probably just go to who they they already know. I would have bought a car from you, though. I'd have been like, hey, look how adorable she is. I'm going to buy my car from her. <laughs> I appreciate that. I love it. Um, so then, uh, while you were working at
1: BMW, did you start selling? Yes. So that's when I started my first brand mascara. So working at BMW, I had to start in what was called a product genius role, and my salary was thirty thousand dollars. And I don't know if you know anything about real estate in Toronto, but or in Canada in general, but in Toronto specifically, it's so expensive. So I was living in, you know, 600, 700 square foot condo, but paying basically, like literally everything for my paycheck was going to my rent. It was crazy. And I realized, okay, I can't make a living, you know, at BMW. I need to supplement somehow if I want to enjoy all the amazing food that Toronto has to offer and not eat ramen every day. So Mm -hmm. that's, I started looking at other options for making money, whether it was online or, you know, just diversifying the way that... Um, or supplementing my income. And for me, I didn't want to make a million dollars. It wasn't that. It was just I needed to make enough to live and to be able to eat and, you know, enjoy life a little bit. But then it ended up becoming way more than I thought uh, in a good way. So kind of like growing up in a single family household, you know, the only way you ever know how to make money is by working really, really hard. Because that's all I saw my mom do. I saw her clock in, clock out, work three jobs at a time. And that's literally you know, you just learn monkey see monkey do. That's how you think life is. You don't know any different. And because of that, you know, as soon as I was 12 years old, got my first job going door to door and selling newspaper subscriptions. So that was just all I really knew. And it kind of just led me to selling cars. But then I met someone who opened up my perspective on how money is made. And he told me that there's three ways to make money. So we'll, We'll call them M1, M2, M3 strategies. So M1, you trade your time for money, right? Everyone always complains though that they don't have enough, what? Time and money. <laughs> yeah, But it doesn't really make sense to trade one for the other. So that's where you go by the strategies like M2 strategy, which is trading your money for money. You know, making your money work for you. But in order to do that, you need to have money to make money. And then M3 strategy is having residual sources of income, which is you do the work once and then you get paid over and over and over again. But I'm not Drake. I'm not a rapper. Like I can't, you know, drop a mixtape and get royalties off. uh, Have you tried? Are you sure? Have you tried? (laughs) Sadly, I have. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) it was one of the many things I dabbled in I I just love music so much I I play piano and I can't sing unfortunately as much as I I would love to be able to sing and you know write music and stuff like that it's just not in the cards for me (laughs) Um, but yeah I mean Drake for example you can write a song and he could be partying in Jamaica and still getting paid on that song that he wrote 10 years ago so same with J.K. Rowling. She wrote the Harry Potter series, right? She wrote it once. Some of them she wrote on a train. And now she's one of the highest paid writers in the world and gets paid every single time someone walks into an Indigo or a Coles and buys that book or buys, the, buys it on Kindle. But, you know, I'm not a rapper. I'm not a writer. How am I supposed to make residual income? So I started looking at different ways to build something for myself, for my future, my future kids. And One of the things I came across was Amazon. And, you know, if you launch a product and you get paid on it over and over again, even while you're sleeping, like I can wake up and there's sales on my app and that's a beautiful thing. Yes, I used to go do
0: a workout class and come back and check my app to be like, how much did I make while I was working out? That was always my (laughs) fun game. But it takes work to get to that point. And zero to a million in especially in your first year, I know is a lot at work. Um, while you were getting that residual income coming in, what was it that you did did right in that first year to be able to continue to grow that and sell it, you know, a short like two and a half years?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's just continuous learning nonstop. Uh, even though our You know, not everyone gets lucky and their first product is going to be a hit. Thankfully, you know, just to mitigate that risk, launch three products at once. So first three, just to, you know, diversify a little bit. And one of them ended up taking off. And that's the one that I focused on. So, you know how they say the the 80-20 rule or 20-80 rule, 80% of your sales is going to be attributed, but 20% of the results or the products that you sell so really knowing which ones are gonna be, I guess your your stocking horse or the cash cow. Um, but if you can launch multiple products that are complementary all at once, it definitely does mitigate that risk. But again, it's also gonna cost you more upfront <laughs> um, because you're, you're launching multiple products and depending on the minimal order quantity that can also increase the cost of your launch. Uh, but for me, thankfully I had Saved up money from working in car sales and I just went all in on it. Looking back, maybe it was stupid, I don't know, <laughs> but I really believed in it. And this was something that it was like, this is going to work no matter what. Like, this has to work. So, the overall branding, we kind of wanted, or I wanted to position it as the Lululemon of skincare. And that's literally what I was. Working towards. I had an end goal. This was what I wanted to build. I wanted it to be, you know, a legacy company. I didn't think I would sell it after two, three years, but I did. And, you know, it's always good to take chips off the table because the most amount of money you're going to make is when you exit that company. And then you can always take that and everything that you learned and put it into another company or into another vehicle and diversify. And that's why I get to finance you know all of these different fun things that i do like my escape room that i'm building out i do real estate like there's all these fun things that i actually really love and enjoy and amazon has become that vehicle to fund those those projects for me but i guess going back to your question um what did we do right or what did we do differently i think that our packaging had something to do with it and also just the positioning of our product and targeting a more specific niche so rather than just going fully broad focus on the specific problem that we're trying to solve and then target those specific keywords and you know instead of going generic just really the the riches are in the niches and then also bundling our products so adding accessories things that don't cost us that much but are going to add perceived value. So I always tell people, you know, in our first product we launched was a castor oil. We added these mascara wands and little eyeliner wands to help apply to your eyebrows and your eyelashes because we wanted to focus specifically on helping with eyelash growth and eyebrow hair growth. Even though it's known for hair growth in general, we got very specific. And that obviously helped us gain market share and then having the organic certification also uh, help with that as well.
0: so yeah, it's like you had kind of all
1: of the
0: initial pieces right with the certifications and you got your product the way that you positioned it in your niche with marketing really fed the algorithm to get you seen because you you said you made what thirty thousand your first month in sales I mean that's that's phenomenal you did you did a lot right out of the gate with the algorithm.
1: thank you yeah I mean it- the algorithm's ever-changing. We all know that. Uh, but if you look at it, even from a sales perspective, I always tell people, okay, you need to understand the psychology of why people buy. And that's, you know, same thing applies for when you're selling cars. Same thing applies when you're selling something online. So understanding, okay, what are people specifically looking for? If they go to Amazon and they're searching for something, you know that they're ready to buy. They've already done their research. They know what they're looking for. Just It's just a matter of getting shown and showing up for those keywords that they're looking for
0: yes and and to your point the algorithm is always changing and winning the algorithm is only the piece of it because when you're especially in a competitive category like like beauty and yes you narrowed it down but also for for people buying a beauty product all they see on amazon they can't touch it so all they're seeing is your your packaging and your beautiful photos and then that gets their attention, and your your copywriting must have been on point as well.
1: Yeah, back then we didn't have ChatGPT, so everything was, <laughs> I had to write it.
0: <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yeah, and if, if we're talking about ChatGPT, right, it's like you can write, even with ChatGPT, you'd have to know the perfect, prompts and how to make it right. This like beautiful selling um, copy there. There really is an art and a beauty in the copywriting on Amazon listings and anybody listening. I challenge you next time you're you're just shopping on Amazon to look at everything that's coming up and why are you drawn to one listing and another and maybe you read something that doesn't resonate with you. So then you go to the next one when they have similar photography. I do that a lot and I like to think like why am I buying this or I watch my five-year-old boy shop for his toys and there will be toys that all look exactly the same but he will pick one specific one and like you were saying it really is um, caring about the end user and what the problem you're solving is to draw them in so yeah I like how you it's not that it's simple but you talk about it like yeah this is this is just what I did but what you did right out of the gate set you up to hit your million dollars and beyond to really have have a solid business. It, it wasn't a side hustle, even though it might may have started as one. And now look at you, you're, you know, years in and on your third Amazon store.
1: Yeah, uh, we actually have a couple that are on the go right now. So I think this will be my fifth or sixth Amazon brand now.
0: <laughs> wow, five or six. That's incredible. It's in- inspirational because after I sold my first one, I wrote a book that was like a passion book for me. And I wanted to sell this book. And then I spiraled that into selling more products. And I think that's what happens. You kind of get addicted to selling. Do you ever think like, hey, I want to sell this
1: or I want to sell that? Or do you stay in your lane? Oh, all the time. I wake up and sometimes I get these bright ideas. I'm like, I want to really sell this. Like I have a list in my phone of things I would love to sell. Um, I have like full-out brand ideas and everything I'm like I just don't have the time to tackle that because it's it's a full-time business right, right. <laughs> literally building an enterprise level business is going to require full-time work for it to succeed so I can't really pull myself in a million different directions even though I I would love to you know if I could I would launch 10 10 new brands tomorrow if I could and had the capacity to. Thankfully, I have an amazing team now and have built out processes and things like that to help streamline everything. So my life isn't as hectic as it once was. um, And I can do things that I actually enjoy. So it's, yeah, I mean, every day I think of new things and I'm like, I really wanna sell that. Me too. It's like,
0: it's same, I'm everywhere. I'm like, ooh, I wanna sell that. And sometimes I'm like, I could just buy it and own it you know, as like a product that because I think it's a cool product, but instead it's like I want to sell it and I start doing product research. Like instead of watching TV, I really have fun doing product research.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I love selling products that I use myself because then I get like a lifetime supply of it. Yeah, that's a good point too. Yeah. So if
0: you like shopping a certain product, maybe you should consider selling it so that you can live around it and love it all the time. Yeah. But they do say don't get high off your own supply. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're going right back to that CBD Have <laughs> weed. All that. That's great. Um, Yeah. So going back to that topic, you said you were looking at uh, stores like brick and mortar
1: stores. Was that for your escape room you just mentioned? So with the pet brand, we wanted to expand into other verticals and maybe open up a local pet store franchise. So we went to a franchise show. And funny enough, there wasn't any pet franchises I could open because I thought it was like the realistic next step for us to be able to sell our own products in our store, but also maybe wholesale other brands and stuff like that. But then we came across this escape room franchise and the numbers just made sense. The cash flow is really great. It's just another way for me to diversify and not just have all my eggs in the Amazon basket. And I personally love escape rooms. Like I've done probably almost a hundred of them now all across the country and even in different countries. And you've gotten out, look, you're here. You've escaped a (laughs) hundred rooms. (laughs) We <laughs> yeah, got clearly, I'm here, still here and kicking it, um, and decided it would be so fun to open up our own escape room. That is cool. Yeah, I like the
0: franchise. We own we own some franchises, so yeah. Um, there's definite benefits to the franchise because out of the box, like there's already marketing already done for you and the branding, and I love that part of it. That it's like
1: yeah, I'll be yeah. there. So, it's it's something even to learn from to implement into your own Amazon business is the way that these franchises operate.
0: Yes, and there's multiple opportunities on the territory so you can build build and repeat rinse and repeat right similar to, to your amazon store it's rinsing and repeating and consistency and the franchise model allows you to do that too so so very cool can't wait to hear about the escape room maybe uh come up to canada and see if i'll get out if i can escape yeah we'd love to host you and lock you in a room for an hour <laughs> <laughs> answer these questions before you get out We'll do an Amazon escape room. That'd be fun. Yeah, that would be like put it in a like an Amazon warehouse setting. <laughs> yes, please add one of those. That would be awesome. We'll come host events up there. I love it. Um for for Amazon selling, um what are you excited about for 2023 because you've been selling for a while now. Like, what's cool um in 2023? And it might be AI, and that that is I'm excited about. But there's also just so many other things.
1: I think with all the tools that we have access to, and what I know now versus what I knew then, just launching products and launching new brands is so much. I wouldn't say not easier, but simpler. Yeah, because you know a lot of things that I had to spend so much time doing myself, like the copywriting. Can now be done at least 80% of the way for me, and then I can fix it up a little and give it some personality here and there, but it's not gonna take me the full day that it once was to like write a whole listing. So now it's you know, you can launch a listing and optimize the listing so much quicker. So, yes, it's gonna be you know better for us as sellers. It's also going to basically force people to also use these tools because you won't be able to compete against the people who are utilizing them, taking advantage of these tools. It's kind of a double-edged sword. We know that the advancement of all these tools is so beneficial, but if you're not using them, you're slowly going to be left in the dust by the people who are using them. So for the people that are stuck in their own way, old ways, they're not consistently learning or adapting and adding new tools to their roster. It's going to be easier for sellers like me who are very eager to implement these things to take more market
0: share. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's you don't have to use the tools and people have built wonderful, big, successful businesses. But hey, there are some phenomenal tools and Amazon's API, they're just pulling, these tools are able to pull more and more and there's more and more tools coming out that it is definitely worth taking a look and seeing how they fit in. And what I like is like if one tool isn't working for me, maybe it's just for my brain, it doesn't, I don't like it. There's another tool that I, I can try that will do something similar or the way that it outlines it or pulls keywords, et cetera is different. So I I think that's a really good point. And that is exciting for for 2023 and
1: and beyond. Absolutely. Just the advancement and how you do business changes drastically. Before we say goodbye, is there anything
0: that we haven't talked about that you would like to share? I think we covered a lot, Joey. I I don't know about you. (laughs) I think we covered some awesome topics. And I'm very excited about the Amazon Escape Room. So once that is up and running, we will have a Fearless sellers escape room party. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, we actually moved into, we're, we're moving into a bigger space. Um, long story short, the commercial landlord dropped a bomb on us and basically said, hey, we can't fire rate your current unit, so you have to move. So now we're being forced to move into a new building, but it is larger. So we're going to be able to fit more games, possibly put like a little bar, speakeasy in there. So mm-hmm. that's that's underway that
0: oh, was super cool so in a way it kind of worked out that they were like hey i know you're building out but you're gonna have to move
1: yeah there is a silver lining at the end of the day but definitely learned a lot from this process <laughs> some days i'm like hmm, maybe i should just suck to e-commerce but <laughs> i know the feeling okay. yeah i know you're like i like just
0: hiding in my room and and selling things online and now i have to move an entire building from one building to another Yeah. (laughs) Well, best of luck with the escape room and with your current Amazon brands. And I really appreciate you joining us. And until next time, stay fearless. Thank you, Joey. If you're looking to get started selling on Amazon, or maybe need some help with your current sales on Amazon, go to fearlesssellers.com. That's a lot of S's in there. fearlesssellers.com. Use coupon code FEARLESS for 50% off our next event. Thank you for listening to the Fearless Sellers, the Women of Amazon podcast. Until next time, stay fearless.